thank you again for another opportunity and time for you to reveal to us your eternal thought, your eternal counsel, your unbelievable, unconditional love that we all uh, so, so very much need. And you always fulfill us with that truth. We thank you and praise you, Lord. I ask that you just, uh, uh, that, that we would all uh, come together as one and just be in a, in a place where we are entreatable, where we can receive what you have for us this morning. And uh, we're just so thankful this morning. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Get my glasses here. Okay, this morning, I'm just going to read from a couple different portions in the Word. And just with you, being a place for God to reveal to us His counsel towards us this morning. First place we're going to, we can all read together is in Genesis, the third chapter. And then we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians, uh, the 11th chapter. And so, as I turn to 2 Corinthians, I have that ready. In 2 Corinthians 11. Here is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle, more crafty than any other creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, his God said, You will not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You will not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be just like God and you'll be able to determine good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make to make her wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, loin coverings. Now here, the Holy Spirit has given the Apostle Paul the truth and the fullness of what was going on there and what can still go on in us. In 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, in verse 1, he says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Because they considered these Corinthians, they were born again, this, this church in Corinth, Asia Minor in Greece, that, that local assembly there started thinking apart from Christ and thought that what Christ was revealing through Paul, in and through Paul, to them was foolishness. But Paul would say, for I am jealous with you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you 
a pure virgin, a chaste virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, his subtlety, that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity to Christ. Now this word, this word here, that God wants us to focus on, and I want to do that with you. I want to focus with you on that word simplicity. Simplicity. It's quite a word. It's quite an incredible word that when we understand that word. Because none of us can say, none of us can say, apart from being in Christ and functioning with a surrendered will to him, we can't say, not my will, but your will be done, apart from being submitted to him. And so our obedience, this obedience that again is brought out in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6, this obedience is when you and I are, with our wills, submitted to Christ, dependent in and on him and his word. Again, this is bringing out 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6, flowing right into this 11th chapter in those first three verses that God just had us read. To continue, it says, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. You bear it beautifully. Now, this is what... God would have us to understand here this morning that Christ had a will. He had a will. As the Son of Man, yes, the Son of God and the Son of Man, one in him, to bring about our oneness in John the 17th chapter in those 26 verses. But Christ had a will. He did. It was to, to do the will of the Father in John 4 and verse 34 and to finish the work which was bringing out in prophecy, which he, he did in finality in John the 19th chapter and the 30th verse. He finished the work. That was fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 47 and 8, bringing out Hebrews the 10th chapter, specifically in those first 14 verses. But here, again, Christ had a will. But he, and he only, never had a will to do things of his own will, in which God had to stop him. That never happened to him. That's why the Bible teaches us the very word of God, our very teacher, the Holy Spirit, in 1 John 2.20 and in 1 John 2.27, who takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13 and 14 and shows them unto each of us. He shows us that he had Christ had a human nature, but he never had a sin nature. He was never tempted like you and I are. Why? Because he had a will. But he never had a will to do things of his own will in which God had to stop him. You see, that's why we need a yoke. Lamentations 3 and verse 27, it's good that a young person bear the yoke in youth. 
bringing out the reality so that they can know their creator intimately in Ecclesiastes 12.1. Before the evil days come in to tempt them, we have a will that needs to be submitted. And that, that, yoke, that will needs a yoke. You'll see this in the first three chapters of Proverbs. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 11.28-30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, but you need to take my yoke upon you to learn of me. Because you can't learn of me. The fulfillment of who I am is the very will of the Father. His very word without a yoke. No. It was not the character of his obedience. No. No, it's not. And again, that brings out what he said in Matthew 26, 39, 41. Not my will. In, the, in his greatest hour of temptation, when he spoke that in Matthew 26, 39 to 41, you will see in the preponderance of the scriptures, and I, and I, and I now see it with you very gladly, receiving it and seeing it with you as one that we all are equal in Christ. That at the greatest attempt of the enemy to cause him, to stop him from going to the cross, to reveal the fulfillment of the will of the Father, his great love and opposition to all the evil, he sweat great drops of blood in Luke 22 and verse 44. In his greatest hour, he said, can this cup pass from me? That wasn't of his own will. Even that wasn't. The cup was that he knew that cup that was necessary was him going to the cross to propitiate the Father, and thus the Father offering him as our substitute, whereby and through him and in him only be reconciled. And he said, let that cup pass, but nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. This is the true character of the obedience of Christ. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have anything to do with blood and flesh in Ephesians 6, 12. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down all these false imaginations and reasonings where the enemy comes in like a flood in Isaiah 59 and verse 19, flooding thoughts against the one thought of the Father, fulfillment of, of God's will through Christ in us, in us. And so we're to cast it down, these false reasonings, like Adam and Eve did refuse and didn't do. Eve was deceived. Adam knew better, but he transgressed. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. That subtlety, that goes against the simplicity that Christ is in us and we in him. He prayed. Casting down imaginations in 2 Corinthians 10.5, reasonings. And every high thing that seeks to exalt itself above the very knowledge, the very love of God towards you and I in Christ. Yes, the true character of the obedient. And then having, it says in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 6, having in a readiness to revenge all our disobedience by the obedience of Christ. 
Yes, this is true. This is the true character of you and I. It's the true character of the obedience of Jesus Christ. And it's ours as those that are in him. Those that are in Christ are to function only properly in the fulfilled will of God. Now, Christ's actual life was lived out, was manifested in his behavior, his conduct. Behavior that flowed from the very word of God that he is. You see, the obedience of Christ, listen, and I'm going to listen with you. The obedience of Christ was not the character of legal obedience. He did not have to be restrained. He did not need a yoke. This is brought out in the types in Numbers 19, 1 and 2. It was to be a spotless, spotless sacrificial one that never needed a yoke. He never needed to be restrained. Certainly you and I do. We have to be. It is necessary. It is of the essence of who God is and his love, his nature, character, and essence revealed in and expressed through Christ, the finished will of God through the word. It is very necessary to have our will to be stopped because of the flesh that's in us in Romans chapter 8, 5 through 8. And then what that does is it changes the whole spirit. It changes the whole course of our proper life, our proper image. You see, we've been stamped with God's approval in Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. That's 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22. Proof of that we're owned in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Thank God we're not our own. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. We're sealed in 2 Corinthians 5, 5. And in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. We have the stamp of approval. Our true character who's, is who Christ is in us, with us in him. In 1 John 1, 7. And then when we have proper sense contained within us through the substance of the word. There's no evil and no nonsense. You see, evil is nonsense. It's not the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. It's not the mind of Christ. You see, we're not sufficient in ourselves for anything in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Our sufficiency of, is of Christ. And furthermore, in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, outside of him, outside of our will being submitted to him, who is sufficient for these things? Who becomes our sufficiency? our means of identification other than Jesus Christ. So the truth is this, that if I have no motive but my Father's will, how astonishingly it simplifies everything. Everything. Now if I have no motive but our Father's positive will finished in Christ and Christ in me then the whole part of the struggle of life is over it's been ended you see we don't struggle in who we are in Christ that's been finished we only struggle experientially where he has to separate the soul from the spirit 
in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And this takes the necessity of our will being submitted. What does this mean this morning? What does this word simplicity mean? This is the Greek word hapelotes, H-A-P-L-O-T-E-S. This is what it means. It means singleness. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples in Matthew 6 and verse 22. If your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. Your whole body will be filled with light. You will be lit up. In Psalm 34 and verse 5, that light that's done away with all your shame and guilt in Christ in Romans 8, 1, will light you up. This is the truth experientially as to ourselves. Yet we clearly see that this was and is the obedience of Christ as we submit to it and become one with it in our own individuality. It simplifies. And what simplifies everything for us? It's the Father's will. It's the fire. It's the purifying holiness of love that causes us to have our proper image, which is a chaste, purified virgin. Nothing of the old in it anymore. No, God doesn't see us after the old anymore. He sees us in the son of his love. This is brought out through the light in Colossians 1.12. It causes us to see that we have been transliterated out of the kingdom, the realm of Satan in his darkness and subtlety that always challenges the finished simplicity that is ours in Christ. No, no other motive but our Father's will. The struggle's over. What does it mean? This is brought out also in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, all the way down to the 16th through to the 18th verse. When those truths were being brought out, the isagogics, the isagogics simply means it's the word of God in its historical frame of reference. It's literally what was happening there. And what they would do back then, men would ta- and women would take their goods, their material goods, whether it was an animal skin or beautiful cloth, and they would bring it into the marketplace to sell it. But if there was any tears or any stains or anything in it, they would cover it up and they would fold it over and only show the upper side so that the person, when they would buy it, would buy the whole thing. That's what that word, haplotes, literally means. It means singleness. There's no stains in it. There's none whatsoever. It's not with a fold, and that's what it means. Simplicity. Without a fold, Nothing covered over, not functioning in lies or disobedience in James 4 and verse 17 to him that knows to do good and does it not but covers it. It's still sin. It still isn't the obedience of Christ in you fulfilled, which brings about our true image in his light, the light that we have and we are in Christ in 1 John 1, 7. No, 
No. The fold. What does it mean, the fold? Without a fold means to be transparent. Where does that start? With me, individually, with Christ, in the intimacy of his love. To be very transparent, not to hide things. Not to pretend. Pretend that I, uh, I experience love and still live in disobedience. Romans 12, 9, let love be without dissimulation. Let it be without hypocrisy. Let it be without anything the enemy can accuse us of by getting us to function in the flesh so that he can condemn us experientially when there is none for us in Christ positionally. It means to be transparent. It means to be honest. Where does transparency and honesty start in me, Ed? It starts in me in my relationship to Christ. There is no underside of the cloth. It's not doubled up beneath the upper, which shows itself to be something when it's not experientially. Because no matter what we, whatever we hide it, and, and whatever we want to, others to see, it still runs in the same direction if it's not of Christ, if it's not of him. You know, he doesn't want us to cover shame and guilt. That's not who we are in Christ positionally. It's to have a transparent, honest relationship with him. It means to, 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 not, to, uh, to be out of a peace without wrinkle, without spot. Song of Solomon 4 and verse 7. You are all fair, my love. There's no spot in you. There's no imperfection in you. Nothing that you have to hide. If I will is submitted to him. Because listen, transparency and honesty and purity starts with me and Christ in me and me in him long before it ever gets to anyone else. No, there's no underside. No, all things, all things, whatever we choose, tends in one way or another. It's a man that has no undercurrent in his own personal life that doesn't flow to others. There's no undercurrents. There's no buy-ins. No. But everything is down to the very root of what he truly is in Christ, in Christ in him. Because he looks away from all that would distract, anything that would distract him from the simplicity and beauty. And simplicity here doesn't mean simple-minded and dumb. It means now we enter into the deep things, the very deep things of God, that the Holy Spirit and he only, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, can reveal to us, which is the very depth of the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 16. No. No, we look to him away from all that would distract in Hebrews 12, 2. Because our whole being is one in reality of being knit together with him in Colossians 2, 1 and 2. We have filled up with all true treasure. Listen, that's true treasure. It's not the material things of life. It's not those things that we hold on to in disobedience. You know, in 2 Corinthians 9, Seven, God loves a cheerful giver. 
one who's set free. Because simplicity, and we're going to see this this morning, simplicity simply means the depth of the freedom that we have in Christ. It speaks of absolute freedom. Freedom from self. Freedom from material things. Freedom from our own plans. Freedom from living in the self-consciousness of our own plans. Our own yearly plan. We plan. We plan what we need to take care of first. And forget God. In obedience. And cover it up. And present just one side. I have a budget. I have a plan for the year. All these other things first. Then Christ. Then those that are Christ. In my obedience. But first, I take care of myself. This brings out the reality of Matthew, the sixth chapter. In those first 34 verses. Because dependence speaks of prayer. Prayer keeps out living for self. Keeps up, keeps in the purity of Christ and absolute obedience and not putting off obedience because I have plans to do other things for other people and other places and skip my known obedience. You see, that's a fold. That's a fold. It's covering up something. You see, it's not being knit together. No, we're only to be hurled in one direction without reservation. What is reservation? It's disobedience. Disobedience. God never gives us the grace of his son and his truth to live in disobedience in Romans 6, 1 and Romans 6 and 15. Because I have these plans, I have to do all of this, so this one has to wait. Because this one has to be fulfilled. Because everything that I do without obedience and simplicity in Christ, the enemy may cause me in the ignorance of pride to think that I'm doing it for others, but really it's about myself. I live for myself. I say it's for others, but it's for myself. And God has this separating, sanctifying process, bringing us back to simplicity into the deep things of Christ. Not living for myself, but he is my life. And when he is, it sets me free. Free to live for others. No wonder hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. Because the, the heart has itself, itself it, it, it has itself set on itself and not true desire. Proverbs 13, 12, with Psalm 37, 4 and verse 5. Hurled in one direction without reservation or backsliding or backdrawing. No, simple. Simple means deep. Oh, I treasure the depth of Christ in me. The truest wisdom. And then there's, then that create. what is simplicity? The simplicity of who Christ is in the deep things. It is that that creates devotion to him. We don't try to do it ourselves. No, he does. His love begets that devotional love in us through our obedience. The oh, Listen, we know in measure we all do. We're all growing in it. I'm growing with you. 
that we that God does lo love us. But how do we know and experience that we love Him? It's called obedience. And if I skip obedience in one area, what does a little leaven do? In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, in Galatians 5 and verse 9, in Luke 16, verses 1 and 2. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You see, they had an outward show. They had an outward cloth they wanted everyone to see. You'll see this in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, in those 34 verses there. 33 verses, by the way. Matthew 23, 1 to 33. They had a show outwardly, but they constantly covered up things. They constantly covered up. They weren't really, they were pretending. They were pretending that they were loved of God. They pretended that they loved God when they hated him. No. Simplicity is love creating a love that's devoted to Jesus Christ is the only true attitude of the heart and mind. The heart. Oh boy. Jesus said this. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, don't treasure things up on this earth, your own plans, what you do with what you think is only yours that you earned. And leave the others undone. Where moth and rust corrupt. No, because you know in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your true treasure, there is what your whole heart is going to be after, your whole mindset, everything about you. Because you can't serve two masters in Matthew 6, 24. You need to have a single eye. Single eye speaks of simplicity, the deep things. In Matthew 6 and verse 22. No. No. We have the true attitude of heart and mind which is one to the facts and brings out the facts of who I truly am related to experientially. Who I am. To others. To others. Am I afraid to involve the body? Am I afraid to speak to others about those that have truly invested in us apart and we approach others apart from them, apart from the whole of which we're knit. And we think we minister to others. The enemy is very subtle. Very subtle. Genesis 3, 1, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. No, that relationship, that relation, that very image, when I function in true transparency and honesty, Completely in every single area, not folding a single thing, not hiding a single thing in me, in my relationship with Christ. That way it doesn't come to others. I don't hide anything. No. That relationship manifests a true image, and that true image is a very sweet and tender image. It is the true line. It is the true line of scriptural teaching. What do you mean by line? That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 16 and verse 6. The lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. They tell me this is where your obedience is and don't go outside of it. This line 
his love, his protection, his teaching. And then, then that will instruct you in the night season. In Psalm 16 and verse 7, there's a lot of areas in our life that we function in the ignorance of pride and disobedience. We skip over things that God never does. It even affects our sleep, our rest, that we don't even know about. And that's why we need to be taught the light of the word, all of us, all of us together. No, because that true image, that true line of teaching, you know, that's what he said, they said in Isaiah 28, 10 to 13, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, constant dependence and having constant transparency, constant freedom. That's what it means, constant freedom. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom's sake, Christ sets you free, so function in it. Without covering anything, read Proverbs, the 28th chapter. A man who covers his sins. A woman that covers their sins. And comes out and presents himself. In those areas where the enemy constantly will condemn us and call us hypocrites. And cause us to be shamed. But then the light of the word comes in. And in Psalm 34 and verse 5, five, it lights us up with a proper image. I don't hide things anymore. I come to him in James 4 and verse 8. But first he has to humble me in James 4, 6. And then I submit. Then I can come with dirty hands and a double mind and be cleansed. That starts personally in our relationship. Because if I am not knit with him personally, in intimately, I will never be knit properly with other members in the local assembly. And that life will not flow. In, in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, I won't speak the truth in love. I'll cover it up. I'll declare it, but I won't have it. That, and I won't be a joint that supplies. In 4.16 of Ephesians. No. That line of teaching, that image, always speaks of an intimate relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. The lamb's wife descending from heaven to meet her husband. And this is brought out in Revelations 21, 1 to 3. Their state, which is their condition. See, there's a difference. Our standing is, that, is our position. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. Now he wants us to experience it in Romans chapter 5, verses 3, 4, right through 21. Now to be experiencing it the true position, our state in their heavenly position and experience is that of marriage. Who are we married to? Who are we married to? It's a faith dependence which looks to him, listen, exclusive of all others. Let me tell you, that starts with myself. The old is excluded in my proper image, and my proper relationship to Christ. And if I don't function with a submitted will to him, me personally, I function right back in the old, and I declare all these things when they're not true of a proper image. No. No. We're to have no other motive but our Father's fulfilled will, which is Jesus Christ. And how incredibly, again, it simplifies everything. And so that word haplotes means singleness. It means, it means to have mental and emotional honesty 
It is the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy. Not self-seeking. What is my plan for the year? What is my budget for the year? Is it my own interpretation? I'll live like a beggar. No. One who is free from it all. One who can manifest their true self through the grace and truth in their proper image that Christ is in them. No material thing can replace him. He's irreplaceable. Who are you going to compare him to? He's incomparable in Isaiah 40 and verse 18. No. It's either we constantly take care of the weak vessel and disregard the treasure that's in us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and then we have a plan whereby we do everything for that weak vessel apart from the true treasure that Christ is. Because where, my where our treasure is, well, there is everything about us going to be. Everything about us, that's where it's going to be. No. We're to have no other motive but our Father's positive will. And that ends the, the lies and the struggles. No, this is the truth practically, experientially, is true ourselves. Yet we clearly see that this was and is the very obedience of Christ. It simplifies. It's the Father's will. We have one husband. We have one head. The subtlety of Satan is to remove those that are his from this simplicity, this singleness, the state, the experiential truth of being unmixed or uncompounded legalism of the flesh, mixing. It's the state of being not complex, not being confused. 1 Corinthians 14.33 God, in Christ as our head, is not the author of confusion, but of what? Life and peace. Because he does it all in order in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. We only have one. We only have one. And that life consists of being have, having a very alert mind to the subtlety of the enemy. It means freedom from a propensity of wandering. Wander. My plan. I say it's of God to do this, to go there, to do this thing, to do that thing. But really, really, is it freedom from a propensity to wander, being seduced to the cunning strategies of the enemy? No. Where to function in freedom? That's simplicity. Freedom from duplicity. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, not some, in James 1.8. No. We're, we're to have plainness. Our path is plain in its simplicity with Christ in us as the light in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. And then we have freedom from artificial ornament. You see, that was the Pharisees. And that is the flesh that's in us that we're not of. When we refuse to submit our will 
to Christ and to be yoked up to him. I want to have an appearance. So I cover up all those inconsistencies, the lies, those desires that I have for myself that aren't of Christ. I say they're for others, but they're not. I say they're for others. I say I'm doing this thing for others. I say I have to do all these other things for all these other people and skip the very ones where God has me. Now we have freedom from artificial ornament, dressing ourselves up, dressing self up to appear a certain way like the Pharisees did. And Jesus yelled at them. At the top of his voice, he yelled at them in the original. Hypocrites! Hypocrites! And what does the enemy want to yell to us now that we're in Christ? He wants to get us to function in the flesh, have our own plans, plan everything out for the year. Yeah, I planned my whole year. And you know what I figured out? I can only take care of these things first. It had to do with myself. Then what was ever left over was for others. It was for Christ. Because when we live in simplicity, we live in the freedom of, of the self-consciousness of lust. And when I live to him and when I'm in his presence, when I set him before my face, and you can't do that if you're trying to hide something. I can't. In Psalm 16.8. Then there's the fullness of joy in 16.11 of that psalm. And the joy of living for Jesus and allowing him to live in me for others. Yes, I esteem others better than my yearly plan. Thinking I'm being obedient in that. That's Philippians 2, 3. Esteem others better than yourself. The deep things of Christ will reveal that privilege that we have. Look not on your own things but also on the things of others. Philippians 2.4 Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was very God, everything he did for his Father, it was to his Father first, but then it was for others. A life freedom, a life of freedom from the constraints of the flesh. Free. Free from the strategies, the lies of the methodia of the enemy in Ephesians 6.11. Freedom from artificial ornament in, in Matthew 23, 1 to 33. Free from it in Galatians 2 through 12. Galatians chapter 6, 12 and 13. Freedom from the flesh. And everything is now plain. Everything is very plain. The path is very plain. We're free from subtlety or obstrusiveness. It is the simplicity of the scriptural truths and doctrines instead of functioning in the lie and weakness of intellect. No, we have a single view through obedience to the glory of God. We're no longer going to live in self-worship of the flesh. Have that to be determined my plan for the year thinking what I can do and what I can't do based upon myself, and then using the very things that God has gifted me 
and keeping them for myself first. And then the scraps are left over to God and those that are his. No longer living in, in self-worship. No, we need a yoke. And without it, we have a yoke of bondage in Galatians 5, 1 and 2. And there's no experience of his love. That yoke the enemy has for us is pride. It's the pride of self-accomplishment. It is the pride of self in competition with Christ. And it is against all the accomplishment of who Christ is and his finishedness in me. Again, the source of every suspicion, the source of every irritation is the lust of the flesh. And there is no control in those in Christ without a yoke, without being yoked up to him. We'll just function in pride. It's very simple. And pride is the hatred of God's manifested love experienced by the believer in Christ positionally. And that's where the lies of Satan seek to come in between the new man in Christ and God. Come in between. Come in between. And not experience in the reality of who we are in Christ. You and I, all his love is so incredible. We have to be stopped in our own will because we have the flesh in us. Some will teach that it's no longer the flesh. I beg to differ. The Bible makes it very clear that in Romans 8, verse 9, the flesh is in us, but we're not of it. And I can function in either one, depending upon who I submit my will to, who I submit it to. No, we are pure, and God wants us functioning in the purity of who we are. Because, you know, and positionally, the truth is, the truth is, we are a chaste, pure virgin. Of Christ, And it's not the simplicity in Christ. It doesn't say that in the original. It's the simplicity that we have towards Christ. It's not the simplicity that's in Christ. It's the simplicity that needs to be in me towards him. So that I function in purity. And to the pure now, in Titus 1 and verse 15, all things are pure. But to the unbelieving, known disobedience, known disobedience, boy, we know where that starts with people, especially when God blesses us abundantly. Then the test comes in. The heartstrings. You know, the heartstrings are a lot of, um, uh, uh, many times are attached to the purse strings. And we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Shameful. By his craftiness. By the enemy's subtlety. Because now, in that, he preaches to us another Jesus. One that's not so pure. To defile our conscience experientially because positionally it's not defiled in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. Everything about him and his love is he wants to present Christ to us individually. That we are pure in him. That we are. That we are. 
He doesn't want any undercurrent to pull us out and pull us away from Christ. There's no undercurrent, no duplicity, not who we are in Christ. Everything is simplified in terms of freedom and purity, having to do with the Father's fulfilled will of Christ in us. Christ in us. And it does away with everything that's not of him. It's easy to forgive, you know, when we function in the freedom of the fact that we are forgiven. We see that in Colossians 3 and verse 13 to 15. We see it in Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Now I can forgive others. Why? Because I'm free to do so. <laughs> because I experience the conviction of God's love. And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness. It keeps us pure. And Father, we're so thankful this morning for this transparency about truly who we are in Christ. Truly who we are and who every single believer is. We are so thankful this morning. I know one thing, Father. I know for me, I want to be without a fold. That's what that word simplicity means, uploadies. Without a fold, without hiding anything. But I want to be transparent and honest with you in my intimacy with Christ. I don't want any underside. I don't want to cover up anything because we've been clothed with the righteousness we see that in Luke 15, 11 to 32, in, in Isaiah 61, verse 10. We've been clothed with righteousness. Father, thank you so much for this truth about who we truly are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.